so I've wanted to do this with a little bit of time. Um, I've got a mate of mine, a very good mate of mine in Australia, um, Astrid Van Uden, and she's a Swanee by kind of one of her professions. Um, she has many, many hats and does many, many jobs. So I kind of wanted to talk with Astrid for a long time. Um, and what I'm going to try and do is try and find out from Astrid how she got into it, uh, what she's doing these days, and maybe what goes on with a Swanee at a, at a race or a tour or... Um, a stage race. So Astrid, taking very, very far back, I presume when someone's leaving college or leaving school, they don't suddenly decide to become a Swanee or they don't kind of pick it out with their careers uh, advisor or anything like that. How in God's name did you end up being a Swanee? Oh, that story goes way back. Um, Yeah, definitely not a university choice. Uh, I grew up with my mother doing Ironman. So we were, we grew up basically on the sidelines of Ironman races for our whole child, childhood. And then um, my brother decided to follow in her footsteps but not do triathlon, become a cyclist. And um, I just kind of have always loved being on the sidelines. So when he was in a professional team called Pure Black Racing back in New Zealand and I had finished my communications degree, I decided I wanted to work for them as their press officer. So that's how I got into cycling basically. Always, I guess always loved it and always loved being on the sidelines and this was my way of helping tell their story in New Zealand to an international audience hopefully. Um, let's be fair though, you've gone, you've done Swanee, You've done PR. You've looked after yeah. PR for a bike manufacturing company. You've been an adv- an advocate for uh, Cycling Australia. What else have you done? Oh, that's about it. Wow. One, yeah, yeah. Marketing in America for a team. Marketing, yeah. marketing your marketing, feel, marketing for factor bikes. Yeah. I feel as if I'm missing something here. I feel I feel as if there's some part of your story that I'm missing there. Anyway, yeah. So you're back in Aus- you're back in Australia now, and what's up? You're you're heading back to the states again with Mike and the crew. Yes, heading back for the tour of Utah in a couple of weeks, which is super exciting. Um, uh, he's he, I'm pretty lucky when we worked together for two years on Smart Stop. We formed such a good relationship that he kind of invites me back every now and then to do a race. So I did tour of the Gila earlier in May and yeah, now heading back to Utah and those are two of my favorite races to work over there. So it's fun going back and seeing everyone and being part of a team again and seeing Mike and yeah. And getting out of the Australian winter. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, although I, I'm not sure if the Australian winter is much worse than an Irish summer, is it? No, probably not. <laughs> Yeah, so you, you, there is that those bonus points, and um, I suppose as well when you're heading over to this, what people just think that our Swannies are they're either there just to hand up bottles, or to do massages at the end of the day. But from being on races and from seeing you um, working in Belgium when I met you for the Power World Cup, there's a whole lot more. There's a whole lot more to it. Um, like explain to the unlearned what I suppose the prep worker that even goes into a Swanee's day even before they see a cyclist oh yeah so 
we're usually the first ones awake and the last ones to go to sleep. Basically, our role is to look after the human body. So, like the mechanics look after the bikes, we look after the body. So, uh, my day usually starts with making sure all the biddings are done, all the race foods prepped, the car's ready to go, it's full of petrol. Um, and then you meet up with the riders and make sure there's no issues there and they've got everything they need. Um, yeah, and then head to the race and make sure they're all packed for the race, make sure Mike's race car's all packed with bottles and food. And then it's making sure you know how to get to the feed zone, which is usually the most stressful part. Yep. And then back to the finish. Yeah, and, uh, the, like, race, it's the race and the race. I presume, like the actually, when the racing is the, probably the the least work for you. I know it's stressful enough trying to get to right, get the start off, get off to the, the feed zone, get to the finish, mm. uh, and, and it's a flat out race. And sometimes you're in crappy cars and crappy vans and stuff like that, trying to negotiate your way around. Correct. But I presume it's that's the simplest part of your day. You just know you have to get to some a place. Uh, and get to someplace else, whereas the rest of the day is just pure hectic. And I've I've seen how Swanee's yes. Swanee's work trying to find space to throw up a table in a hotel room, organizing rubs, organizing, um, you know, some of my we we, we use, we've used space boots before, um, for recovery, organizing those for the riders, making sure everyone's kind of scheduled, making sure that they know what time it is it's it's not as just hey you walk into a hotel room there's a bed set up for you you throw up a few riders you give them a rub and that's it like yeah maybe if you're on the world tour that happens but not on a little continental team when you've got very limited staff it's uh yeah i've turned over many beds in a hotel to try and squeeze a massage table into a room it's it's pretty funny really um, and we should also add, when you're traveling to a race, um, when you're packing, you bring your own table with you, don't you? Ah, no. uh, yes, except for these two races I'm doing with the Volo. They are thankfully providing me with a table so I don't have to fly internationally with one. Yeah, no, because I just wanted to point it out that while cyclists might bitch and moan about a bike box going through uh, <laughs> an airport, a table is no is no easy thing to move around. No, traveling with a massage table is the worst thing ever. And I have been known to do the little trick on the um, airport scales where you just use your foot to lift it up a little bit so the weight's lower. <laughs> yeah. or <laughs> not yeah. paying so many oversized fees. Yeah. Um, I suppose with that, you've worked with, uh, kind of decent teams. You've worked with young riders as well, and you're now working with yeah. development riders. Have you found the difference in attitudes in the riders that some of the older riders maybe just they expect more, whereas the younger riders they don't necessarily know what to expect, so they're kind of a little bit more, um, I don't know, they'll do a bit more for you or they'll work with you a bit more, or how do you find them? Uh, yeah, so our previous team now is a U23 team, and I think. Oh, well, it's not, it wasn't all that different from SmartStop because with SmartStop we had that group. It was a group of misfits 
that kind of no one took a chance on. So they were really appreciative of everything that we did for them, um, in the, especially in the first year. And I think in the second year we became a lot more professional. So it was a lot more regimented and not completely, but that there were systems in place by then. Um, and so things changed. But, yeah, the U23 kids, they're just a lot more chill. They're like, oh, are you sure you want to give me a massage? And I'm like, yes, your name's on the list. Like, <laughs> you're allowed one if you want one. It's not my decision. It's yeah. yours. Um, yeah. And But they're a lot more naive when it comes to nutrition and recovery and looking after themselves. So I really enjoyed that at Healer that I was able to pass on some of that nutrition knowledge to them and hopefully help them a little bit that way with their how they're feeling during the race in terms of not just spending four hours eating gels, putting some real food in their bodies and then what they're eating afterwards. And um, I still talk to some of them now about what they should be eating race prep wise and stuff. So hopefully you know, you just sprinkle a little bit of knowledge in them and it helps their future, I guess. Yeah, cool. I suppose, um, how long ago has it been since Roman started out? It's been a few years. Oh, he started racing in 2007 or, well, yeah, the first year he went overseas, I think, was 2007. So he started racing in high school. So... Yeah, we've been in the game for over ten years now. Have you seen a Have you seen a big change in rider knowledge, or are riders more um, smart in certain areas, but still very naive in other areas? Or have you seen any changes like that you've that you've really kind of noticed in the last four, five, ten years? I think the biggest thing is the information that's out there. So, the nutrition especially people who have moved away from bars and lots of gels to real food and gels. And I think, like, when my brother was racing in his early days, like, he he probably wouldn't have really thought about his nutrition. He just ate, which in some ways I think is really good because I think people are too obsessed with it now because yep. there's all this information and scientific knowledge around and really you just need to fuel your body, but be smart about it. Um, and then everyone's doing all this crazy training and, you know, saving minimum uh, marginal gains and all that stuff. Whereas when my brother was racing, he never had a coach and he kind of just like listened to his body. So I don't know. I don't know if that's a good thing good thing or a bad thing about how he went about things but it's different definitely yeah. a lot different to what i see the kids doing now yeah and i suppose even over here we would have had some guys that would have went to europe and they would have come back with certain regimes or certain methods of doing stuff and they would have been eventually filtered down to amateur riders and kind of top level amateurs but now mm. they, everyone knows everyone you know you, you can you can find a coach in Belgium. You can find a coach in Australia. You can find someone who's who's raced from Australia and in Europe. And you know, it's it's very the the flow of information is very very easy these days. But as you said, you can also get absorbed in it and caught up in it. And as you said, you know, people just need to listen to their bodies 
fuel it yeah. right, look after themselves right, uh, push them when they need to push, back off when they need to back off. Um, your your average day then, I you're, I know you said you're you're up first, but what's what's the part of that day that you like the most? Is it just the the even? I know with this one year we had on the, on the Ross, he used to love doing the massages because it was just the decompression of the day, the stories, the bit of crack, and kind of it was almost like confessional for some of the writers. Um, and he yeah. he really enjoyed that. But the other parts of the day, he was as stressed as be Jesus. Like it really was, you know, getting up in the morning, getting writers ready, getting you know, getting them down to sign on, getting them out and getting them gone, and his his day kind of decompressed and he got off then at that point and then he really looked forward to the evenings. Um, is there a balance for you in the, in the day or do you find any any joy in the day or any happiness like like you know a bit of ah yeah this is this is a nice part of the day and I kind of really enjoy <laughs> you know because it's it's all go for a Swanee. Yeah, I think you got to find bits and pieces of that everywhere, like throughout the day because it is such long days and when I was with Smart Stop I used to wear a tutu in smart stop colours, like purely just to bring some laughter and some fun into such a long and stressful day. Um, and so that that was good fun, but definitely first thing in the morning is quite stressful because you've got to make sure you've got everything. You don't want to forget anything at the start of the race. And then I love that kind of morning time when you first go see the riders and you say good morning, you find out how they slept and give them any last-minute tips on what they should be doing for their bodies if there's any niggles or anything. Um, and then one of my favourite, favourite parts about a bike race is, and it's absolutely a stressful time, but it's at the finish line of a mountain stage in a stage race where you know that your non-climbers have work their butts off to get their climbers to the bottom of the climb and as far as up the climb as they can and they're coming in and they're just trying to make time cut and they get there and they've done it and they just collapse in your arms and they're just absolutely smashed and you just know that these kids have just raced a bike race that does not suit them but they've given it everything because their team leader needed them and that's I love it because they're smashed at the end, and that's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, no, I... and I can never do it, but I love it because it just shows how much of a team sport this is, and how much they're willing to sacrifice for the other people in their team. Yeah, and I think that sacrifice and that element of you doing work for someone else is rare in other mm. sport. It's very rare in other sports, you know. Mm. You'll 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 rarely right look look someone will take a tackle will offload a pass will do something but it's only a small thing in a ninety minute game whereas you know a a stage can be five six hours long and for someone to or you know two or three guys to do that much work and to deliver someone uh, to the best of their ability to a hundred percent of the job that's asked of them. It's a huge, yeah. sac- it's a huge sacrifice and you're, you're right. It's, it's great to see the guys coming in smashed because you know that they've, they've done their job a hundred percent. And they've, they've but not re- only have they done their job, they then have to keep climbing and make time cut. Yeah. That's, that's 
more the hardest part because you're in the groupetto and your morale's down. Whereas when you're in that moment of protecting your rider, you know, you're in that moment. But I think the hardest part is that I've got to make it to the finish line because in two days' time is a sprint stage and that stage is going to suit me and these guys are going to repay me then. Yeah. And they have to get there. Yeah, your job is yeah job job one is to get to get them to the climb. Job two is to get yourself over the climb. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I love that, and I love massage because that's when you bond with people. And you know, guys that I worked with in Smart Stop, what's that? Six years ago now. You know, I still follow their careers. I still talk to all of them. You know, you create these lifelong friendships, and yeah, you just. You form a really good relationship on the massage table in terms of the things you talk about. They come and tell you all their problems, and yeah, you yeah. are a therapist. Yeah, it's it's very much like a confessional. Yeah, it is. Um, Absolutely. Would you have liked to have gone on further and maybe gone up the the levels of Conti and gone to World Tour, or how would you have felt? No. Just far too no. much. Of, just far too much of a commitment. No, I, it's not that. It's I love working with the kids that I, are um, trying to make a future for themselves because yeah. I feel like I'm making a difference there and I can be a part of that, of them achieving their goals. And it's really similar now to the work that I'm doing with Cycling Victoria and I'm working with juniors and I love it because, like, everything we do and everything I can teach them could one day help them become a professional cyclist. So... I want to be a part of that development. I don't want to be at the top end of the sport. Yeah, no, no, it's a fair point because you, you, a small bit of knowledge to a junior, or a small, and I don't, I, I don't mean that in a, that you only have a small bit of knowledge, but a small bit yeah. of knowledge, a small bit of knowledge around eating correctly to a junior or an under twenty three can make a huge difference. Whereas with uh, world tour riders, they're 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 not set, but they 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 believe they are the best and they believe they already have the knowledge and they may have a coach and they may not want to listen and they want to, you know, they, they'll only take information in certain ways. Um, so they won't process the information that you might give them. Whereas the younger riders will and do, and you can obviously see the results kind of quickly as well. Yeah. Like I don't think the difference I would make in a world tour's life is, is very big. Whereas I feel like with the develop developing rider, I can, be a part of making a difference in, in who they are as a cyclist, and that's kind of my goal. You've mentioned your role with Cycling Australia, or Cycling Victoria. Victoria. Sorry, sorry, my, <laughs> my, my bad, my bad, Cycling the Victoria. The state body, not the, not the national body, yeah. So what is it you, you're doing there with those guys? Oh, so much. Um, I was officially hired as the gender equity officer at the end of last year, and then... Now my role's kind of evolved and I'm doing a lot of the digital comms and then working with the juniors as well. So basically I've been hired to make the sport better for women and girls and get more women and girls participating in cycling. But um, I've kind of seen that it's not just about making it better for women and girls, making it better for everyone. Um, and, and, yeah, telling their stories and creating role models and, um, talking about the everyday cyclists rather than just the elite cyclists, so that you know a forty-year-old mom or yep, no, whatever, 
is inspired to ride a bike. I 100% I love that story and I always say to people you know people always say oh who's your heroes and I always say look around don't look up for a hero Um, and you will find ordinary people doing extraordinary things and some a lot of the time their story's not told like um one of my cousins he's I think mid 40s now he's he's I think he knocked out 13 national titles in about an 18 month period um but he has three kids now he works shift and the three kids are cycling and everything else and he's never pushed them but his love and his attitude towards the sport has probably created three cyclists and yes that's i i i'm in awe of him and i i admire him so so much for doing that and that those are the sort of stories that i I feel are those people are heroes, not necessarily your world tour riders or anything like that. And I, I really do feel strongly about that. And it's great to hear that someone else is doing something similar and that you're trying to develop the sport that way. Yeah. Because it. Well, the world tour riders are unattainable, right? Like especially in Australia, like the the kids especially don't get much, like any chance to meet them unless they go to Cadell's Road Race in January. Uh, so it's more fun to make heroes out of the kids themselves. Like I've really focused on telling the junior stories um, and creating this like memory bank, I guess. So that in 10 years time, if they go to the world tour, there's a story about them when they did the Eland junior tour in Victoria and won. And, you know, and it's their story about how they came through cycling and it's, it's there and it's documented. Yeah, but it doesn't even have to be when they go to World Tour, even if they turn into a, a fully functional adult and they have, yeah, a, exactly. a, if they have a kid and they're seven, eight, nine, and then you, they can point them to your, you know, the, the Cycling Fix website or they can point them to stories online and in, in newspapers or whatever else. Yeah, I've, I've done this and I've, I did that and I won that. You know, it's, yeah. I know a lot of my, the stuff I did when I was a young guy um, is kind of lost into the archives because it's all pre-digital. Um, and thank God for that in some ways in shape or form but I, I would like yes in some ways that yeah, what you're doing is just really great now it's a nice idea that digital memory bank for people yeah that's um, yeah, good fun um, when are you off to America then two weeks oh three weeks maybe 8th of 8th of August yeah um, counting but, down the days yeah uh, you looking forward to it I am um, I am. I'm looking forward to some warm weather, but just looking forward to getting back into racing again and seeing the gang and, it's, and just having a good time. Yeah, and it's very much a suspended animation bubble because you never know what day of the week it is. You just know what stage yeah. it is. You know what stage yep. it is, yeah. Um, yep. You never know exactly where you are, but you know what time sign-on is. You know what time... Yep. <laughs> you know what time dinner is going to be at. Um, yeah, it's just, it's it's really it really is a kind of a suspended animation for a few days when you're in that bubble. Uh, I kind of miss it. I really need to get back. Man, I really need to get back managing team. Yeah, it's it's just a whole different world. It's it's such a bubble of. Oh, like I got I, when I did healer, I literally flew in and flew out. And I didn't spend any extra time in America, and I kind of got back to Australia and was like, "Did that even happen?" Like, yeah, yeah, everything merged into one, and oh, but it's just, yeah, 
It's so hard to describe and you probably find the same thing trying to describe it to your friends outside of cycling and you just can't. It's just this whole different world of fun. Um, what's the, the local scene in Australia like? Um, I know they've got some kind of, they've got a, a couple of decent Conti teams and stuff like that, but is there a decent mm-hmm. decent race scene over there? Is there... Is is Europe always the goal for for riders, or what's what's the scene like there? Yeah, so eventually it's Europe. Um, we have the National Road Series, which is the series that Cycling Australia puts on, and then Cycling Victoria puts on the Victorian Road Series and the Victorian Junior Road Series, which is really good. Um, it offers some really tough racing, and we, um, but it's it's just not this it's just not at the same level yeah and um i was talking to a father of a rider that's in belgium at the moment and he's racing under 19 races in belgium and they get 150 starters in just the under 19 category and i was going how like we struggle to get 150 riders over all of our categories but it's just because you've got three or four countries within two, three hours driving distance that are all cycling mad. And we just don't have that over here. Yes. Um, yeah, I have yeah. one of my mates, um, one of the lads that I managed on the Ross is, he's Australian Irish and he's over in, he's actually in, he's in Italy at the moment, but he's back in Belgium shortly. Mm-hmm. But again, to your point, um, cycling is God over there still. Cycling is Australian rules. It's soccer. It's, yeah, it's the number one thing over there. Like it just there's there's races on all the time. Um and I'm following uh Freebie on Instagram, I think at the moment. And like he's he's just doing Kermes after Kermes after Kermes after Kermes. And I know a few of the Irish guys went over there um before nationals. I think like they raced four or five days in a row uh, in Kermesses like and they were getting decent numbers in all the Kermesses like and it's just it's like you said, once the competitions there at national level in all in all countries and NRS is at a decent level. Same over here with the national series. But when you go to Belgium, it's just it's a washing machine, you know. And yeah, you don't get that competition anywhere else, do you? No, and we just can't afford to put on that many races. Like traffic management is so expensive, and police is expensive, and you know the. The culture over here of shutting down roads is so negative that it's it's just impossible. Um, Speaking of the culture, is it getting bad in Australia for cyclists, or is it just yeah. is it just my kind of? I know I keep I've got a, I've got a few Australian mates on Facebook and stuff like that, and I I see some Australian newspaper posts and anti-cycling posts. Is it getting mm-hmm. is it getting bad over there? Or what's it like? Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. They're, they're not happy people over here and towards cyclists, um, which just blows my mind, especially in Melbourne, because Melbourne is such a cycling-friendly city and there's so many commuters but and so many people out on bikes. I mean, I've been here over a year and I haven't even bothered to buy a car because I just ride a bike everywhere. Um, it's so accessible, but, yeah, the attitudes are really negative. Um, and it doesn't help local governments not supportive of bikes. Well, national government. So 
when you don't have the politicians behind you making the changes, it doesn't really help. Yeah, yeah. And when they see you as a target or to see you as a as a drain on resources that a cycle lane costs X, you know, or it's not, it's seen as a cost. It's not seen as a benefit. And that, that, that sort of framing of how cyclists are seen is always going to be bad. I know, which blows my mind because long-term benefits to the government is, is it's going to decrease spending in healthcare if we yeah. get more people on bikes. Which yeah, no. Just, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I don't need to make that argument. It's, no, no. Everyone knows it except yeah. the people that need to know it. Yeah, as well as that, then it just it generally creates the culture of cycling. Um, you know, you, uh, when we were over in uh, Belgium, like you know, we I, I was walking down to meet you guys, and there was mums mums mm. cycling mm. to the recycling center with cargo bikes with rubbish and stuff like that, and you just, I my mind was been blown everywhere. Like when I saw just the general generality of cycling over and over there, and it's just when that culture comes in. It just change. It just changes everything, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. Yeah, I remember the first time I went to the Netherlands, and I was just blown away by yeah. bikes. Like I went to my the village that my dad grew up in, and stayed with some people we went to school with. And the the father of the family I was staying with was like, "Want to come out with me and get some cheese?" And I was like, "Sure, it's a Saturday." We rode 10 kilometers to get a wheel of cheese. And that's something that he does every second Saturday. He rides to the next town over to get a wheel of cheese. And I was like, that's just, to me, that's like, well, I wouldn't do that back home. But that was normal to him. And I was like, this is cool. Yeah, that is the most Dutch story you can tell, really, isn't it? Yeah. It was 10 kilometers there and 10 kilometers back. It was yeah. like... Madness, and then it rained, so we stopped and got a beer to wait for the rain to stop. Which, yeah, uh, yeah that, that's <laughs> just, just reminded me of hanging out with my dad. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, yeah, that's, I, 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 I don't understand. Like, I, I grew up cycling, I grew up cycling to school, but now my secondary school, so my my high school, um, they actually have a separate car park for kids. So yeah, that, that's madness. Yeah, whereas. I think there was one guy when he, we did we did our final exams, um, had a motorbike, and he was maybe seventeen, so there was maybe one motorbike in the whole of the school. Everyone else didn't have a car, or they got their parents to drop them to school, or buses, or biked. But yeah, now they have an extra car park for the kids, for the students. Yeah, we have an issue here where schools are banning kids from riding bikes to school because it's dangerous. Why not? Which is just mind blowing. Why not ban cars? You know. I know. Yeah. If you if you if you banned the school drop off and made everyone ride bikes, it would be safer. Yeah, yeah, it would. Yeah, they're doing the so, wrong thing. They're doing the wrong yeah. thing. Yeah. It's just it's mental. I didn't I didn't expect this this conversation to turn into a bike advocacy. Um, <laughs> but uh, there you are. Yeah. No, it's just it was one of those things we're dealing with. Like, how do we increase participation and in cycling and safety is the biggest thing, but everyone's kind of just telling these stories that aren't necessarily true or can be easily mitigated if we had more people on bikes, but no one's willing to step up and try and get more people on bikes or help us get more people on bikes. Yeah, I know. And I, Astrid is very familiar with my twins and she sees them on Instagram constantly. Yes. 
and like we got them, we had them two balance bikes from when they were very young. They're now on two little pink little bikes with um, stabilizers. And I'm lucky in some respects because we have a greenway quite near us, which is a disused railway, um, which is converted into a walking and cycling track. But I, I want to, like, they saw me going out Sunday, so I went out for a spin with one of my mates. So they got dressed up in their cycling gear, and I met them on the greenway on the way back. But if it's like my cousin, if you don't, if kids don't see this this sort of culture, or they don't see this sort of thing, and it's the same with you with the under twenty three riders, if they don't get educated on how to eat properly, how to look after themselves, the culture will never exist and the culture will never pass on. And it's a, yeah. it's, 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 it's a horrible shame that it's starting to be pushed to the real outside of our lives and to be, oh, you're a cyclist. That's that's a bit strange. You cycle to work? What's, what's that about? Is that not dangerous? And I think we need to reverse that in some way, shape or form. And probably coming back full circle to you, it will then eventually help you getting your juniors, you getting your women, mm. women cyclists, and everything else. Yeah, I hope I hope to see it changing in the next few years because I I I don't want to see cycling just die off or just become a real kind of outsider loner kind of oddball sport. Yeah, I feel like the way the world's moving, that it's going to have to have a resurgent because I feel like. This is so pass- so pessimistic, but I feel like the generation below us is, you know, they're not going to be able to afford cars and all those, you know, and we're going to worry about climate change. So I feel like there's going to be a resurgence somewhere. Yep. Just whether or not it's going to be too late is going to be the issue. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. <laughs> now let's let's end on a, let's end on a positive note, please. Um. You're heading over to heading over to look after a team of under twenty three riders. Um yes. you've looked after uh some national champions over in the US and everything else. I'm gonna nail you to the cross and ask you who's your favourite rider of all time? Oh no. Yes. No. Like one that I've worked with or one that you, not necessarily. You can it can be someone you work with, um someone oh, that you've no. that you've that may have been on another team, someone world tour, someone Conti, it can be your brother. I don't care. You have to te- <laughs> tell me who and tell me why. Oh, I don't know. That's like on the spot. There's so many. Because, but you know, like a guy like Mike Woods, I love watching him race now because when I first started in America, he was this nobody bouncing around teams from Amora Vita, I think he was on, and then. I think he guess rode he rode for the Canadian national team at Tour de Beauce. Like I've seen him develop from some a guy who was just bouncing around trying to get races to now racing the Tour de France this year. And so I love that kind of stuff. And then like a guy like Rob Britton who came to Smartstop at in his late twenties had been ridden off by so many teams just is a really good guy in terms of will work his ass off for a guy like Travis McCabe so that Travis can sprint, but then also smashes it in climbs and time trials and got third at Colorado one year. And then now he's just still killing it five years later. And it's just watching those progressions and then turning into 
athletes and professional cyclists. That's what I love, but I don't think I have a favourite because then you see like Travis McCabe and he finally got national crit champs this year and you get so excited about that and they're just all good guys. It's all about them being good people more than like what their results are in terms of what, yeah, no, why I, I like them. No, I, I, like I, 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 did, I wasn't picking on anyone for the results or anything like that. Um, I know I, I referred to my cousin earlier on, and he is my my favorite cyclist because he's just one of these people that can. He he turns himself. He's limited time. He is daddy daycare. He's the family man. Uh, he switches off, you know, and but when he goes out on a bike, he manages to turn himself inside out. And yeah. he will suffer like an absolute dog, and still pull out a result. And I just, I, 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 I love that. I love that. Someone just. Yeah. Um, can I choose my dad? Yeah, you can. You can. <laughs> because my dad is like me. So my dad had to deal with my mum doing Iron Man while raising three young children, and my mum was out cycling seven hours a day on a Sunday. So dad had to look after the three of us. And now he still has to deal with it because she goes off and does all these races and stuff and she's in Europe for three weeks now and I always call him up and I go, how did you deal with this? Like how do you deal with an annoying cyclist and get tips off him about, you know, dealing with the grumpiness and the tiredness and all that kind of stuff? So in terms of like my role and what I can relate to, my dad was basically my mum's swanee for years. Unofficial. Uh, <laughs> so, and he's still with my mum. So, and they still love each other. So, something worked. Yeah. So, you've morphed. You've morphed into your dad, and Roman's morphed yeah. morphed into your mum. Yep. Brilliant. Oh. On that happy note, I'm going to leave you go. Um, thank you for your time. Um, thank you. If anyone wants to try and follow your 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 progress and your stories from. America and what you're doing, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, Instagram and Twitter. Astrid Van Newton. Yeah, I'll t- I'll tweet out I'll tweet out Astrid's account later on because yeah. I have problems spelling that as well at time, so don't don't, <laughs> yeah. don't worry about it. Astrid, thank you very much for your time. Uh, I will say that it's it's very early in the morning over in Australia. I won't say exactly how early in the morning it is. Uh, Astrid is probably pouring coffee into her eyeball at the moment. Uh, thank you for your time. And um, we'll catch up with you soon. Thanks for chatting.